Casey's confidential. Hey. Oh. Kansas City's best. Ooh, Casey Confidential. Welcome to Kansas City Confidential, a podcast where we hear from the people behind Kansas City's local restaurants, businesses, and personalities. Each guest shares their personal stories of life in Kansas City and discuss the brands they have built. I'm your host, Sari, and today's guest is Nate Riley, owner of Marco Polo Selections a little wine store in Waldo that specializes in small family-owned wineries from regions that are less than familiar with price points that range from $13 to $30. Nate has worked for distributors, suppliers, retailers, and restaurants, and has come to one conclusion about this crazy industry, that it takes itself way too seriously. Here at Marco Polo Selections, Nate and his team stay laid back with a great glass of wine that doesn't break the bank. Their motto is be nice and drink better, and they try to live by that motto every day, and it's not hard to do. At Marco Polo, they just like to expose people to wine outside the generic grocery store aisle. Marco Polo is a laid-back, all-inclusive wine store that doesn't take itself too seriously. So here to talk all about wine, and his motto is Nate. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, how's everybody I, um, I'm excited to have you here. I've, I've been to Marco Polo and it was such a fun experience and just your knowledge of wine, uh, is, is amazing. So I would love to hear just your background, how you got started in this industry and what you love about wine so much. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for having me. First of all, this is, uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind couple of months for me. Uh, I'll kind of get into why and how, but essentially my background is not that much different than a lot of other people's in this industry. I started out uh, in restaurants. I went to Iowa State University and my last year of college, the advisor called me in and he was essentially like, you got to graduate, man. It was like our fifth year and I'm staring the sixth year in the face. And I, I talked to him and I was really close to an HRI degree from Iowa State and I had worked in restaurants since I was 14. So I was pretty comfortable there. And uh, essentially I worked in that industry for a while out of school. Um, and it's a hard industry. It's a lot of hours, a lot of hours. It's, you know, you're, you're working when everybody else is playing essentially. So it's, you know, you're kind of reverse time. And I was in the process of getting married and having a relationship and my wife, Talia, she worked, you know, she's in the insurance industry. So she works, you know, business hours. And so one beautiful Mother's Day, I freaked out on everybody and threw my keys and swore I would never work in the restaurant industry again. But fortunately, I had some experience in the wine industry. And so we moved to Denver, Colorado. um, And I essentially just started as what we call in the industry, we call them merchandisers. So if you're ever at the big grocery store chains or big liquor stores, and you see the uh, ladies and gentlemen with you know, the boxes and they're stacking the boxes and they're cutting off tops and they're putting up point of sale. Those are what we call merchandisers in the industry. So I started doing that and also on the side, kind of hand selling wine for that distributor. Uh, essentially, I'd go into the stores on the weekends and I'd sit there and talk to people about wine and kind of push them towards one thing. Or, you know, if, you know, if they had questions, I would try and answer them. And then that distributor in Colorado gave me a territory in Southern, kind of like the Southern Denver area. Um, it was not the nicest part of town. There was times where 
it was a little bit uh, shaky getting paid because a lot of those stores would pay you in cash. And, you know, a lot of times it'd be coming through a window that had, you know, that's how you did everything. And so fortunately I was pretty good at that. And then I went to kind of did Northern Colorado for that distributor for a while. And from the, just from that distributor, I took over even more parts of Northern Colorado. So we actually moved to Fort Collins for a year and I kind of did Fort Collins and Northern Colorado and in the kind of Boulder and Longmont. And then a supplier called. So essentially in our industry, and I won't get too far into it, but we have what's called the three tier system. And that was essentially set up after uh, prohibition. It was a, a way for the government to get taxed three times. And I also think it was a way to kind of keep the prices up. So you didn't have, you know, so stuff wasn't so cheap, but essentially you have suppliers and importers who either make the wine or import the wine. You have distributors, which every state has, you know, 10, 15, 30, 40 distributors, depending on the state. And then you have retailers as your stores and your grocery stores and your restaurants and suppliers can't be distributors. Distributors can't be retailers, you know? And so essentially those are the three tiers and each supplier has, you know, has to have a different distributor in every state. You got the big, you know, the big ones. So essentially I went to go work for a supplier and I ran Colorado for a supplier. I think I had like 500 brands I was in charge of. And then that supplier gave me Colorado, so I had Colorado, Oklahoma, and Kansas, and parts of Missouri for a while. And then essentially, uh, my wife got transferred back to Kansas City. So uh, we were working, I was working from home at a 900 square feet house in downtown Denver. My wife was working for a Swiss company, working from home, and we got pregnant with our second child. And we kind of looked at each other in the face like, hey, uh, I can't work out of the grocery store. Or I can't work out of the laundry room anymore. And so we started looking around and then Essentially, her job kind of gave her a, why don't you move back to KC? We decided to do that. We moved back here. And at that time, I stayed for that same supplier. I ran those same three states, but I did it out of Kansas City instead of out of Denver. And then uh, a local winery here in Kansas City, you know, called and helped and asked me if I wanted to be the you know national sales director and help them kind of grow. So I did that. We grew that winery into a bigger, bigger thing than what it was. And just essentially over COVID, just a lot of soul searching and a lot of, uh, you know, the industry changed pretty dramatically during that time. And there's, there's just a big gulf of essentially the wine industry changed more in that year, year and a half than it did in the, you know, 10, 15 years prior that I did that. So I just decided I didn't want to travel anymore. I didn't want to argue with grocery store chains anymore. Kind of wanted to go work for myself. Uh, that's, that's what brought Marco Polo along. It wasn't like it's something I've been sitting around for years deciding I wanted to open my own wine shop. It was always kind of a joke amongst me and my friends and my wife. Like uh, one of these days, I'm just going to freak out and open a wine shop on my own. It kind of happened. And so that's, that's kind of what led us here. But that's a kind of a long convoluted story to say uh, I started in the industry, you know, throwing boxes around and now I've got my own little import wine store, which is in my neighborhood, which is fun. So the changes you talked about that happened in the industry through COVID, was that more on the back end of the distributor and retailer side, or was that more the consumer side? No. So it was, I think it was pretty reactionary. Uh, essentially the restaurants closed, right? So all the wines that are cool and fun, uh, and then the grocery stores got all the power. So it was already kind of starting to go this way where the grocery stores have all the power. They've got all the buying power in our local market, Kansas and Missouri. Until recently, you know, we have a little bit different liquor laws, you know, in the in these two states. With that being said, the rest of the country is kind of run on grocery store chains. So Kroger and Safeway Albertsons and Costco and those guys, you know, that's where most Target, Walmart, that's where most of those people buy most of their wines. 
they had the buying power, they had all the power. So they only wanted to deal with, you know, certain wines and wineries. And a lot of them have their own private labels. And a lot of those stores have one aisle, you know, and that aisle has got to have wine spirits, you know, maybe a beer coolers in there. Maybe they have two or three aisles, but there's not a lot of space there. And so you're fighting, you know, and you're, you know, if you look at it like a pie graph, you're the amount you're competing for is getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, you're making less money and your margins are getting smaller and smaller. And, and then when COVID, so that was already starting to happen. And then when COVID happened and the only thing open was grocery stores, absolutely. Like it, it changed overnight. And now the smaller and medium sized wineries had nowhere to go. They didn't, the, the, the shops were closed. The grocery stores were, you know, were kind of cutting them out and the big distributors didn't want to deal with small and medium sized guys anymore because the big distributors only want to deal with chain placements. They don't want to, they don't really, a lot of them don't even have reps anymore. They don't carry the bag and show wine anymore. You know, it's all done in an office somewhere. It's all done by planograms. And if you're not in that planogram and it's all done a year beforehand, if you're not in that, you know, you're, you're not going to have a lot of place to sell. And where a lot of these small and medium sized wineries went was restaurants, but the restaurants were all gone. And that was, you know, it was a real issue. A lot of the domestic wineries figured out direct to consumer. So direct to consumer shipping is a really big deal. And if you're the producer of it, if you're the one making the wine, you can ship to, I don't know the exact number, somewhere like 45, 47, 48 states, somewhere around there. But these European and South American wineries, it doesn't make sense for them, right? To ship one or two bottles at a time across the country. And so while the domestic wineries were able to do a lot of direct to consumer and you know stuff was getting direct to the door, uh, the market share for some of these European and small production wineries, you know, they only make 600 cases. That's one Albertsons in one city, you know, and it, it, they just didn't, the gravitas of the situation was just getting, they just had nowhere to go. So, you know, cause these big grocery store chains, they don't deal in buy one case here, one case there, two cases there, they're dealing and send a hundred thousand cases to, or whatever the number is, you know, number with commas in it to various markets and, you know, we need the cheapest price you can get and you're dealing in a lot of commodities at that point. So I was, I know this wasn't the question, but here we go. Um, I sat in the, so I'm sitting there looking at that market going and at the same time, people are coming over to my house in COVID. I think the one or two things that came out of COVID was the kind of buy local. People wanted to support their local and people met their neighbors again. We were no different. People are over at my house and we're drinking and they're like, man, I don't, like I'm sick of this same old wine from the same old region and they're going through my cellar and that's fine. That's what we were doing. I was going through theirs and you know, I'm sitting here and they're like, Oh my goodness, this wine is amazing. Where's it from? I'm like, Oh, this is some Turkish wine, you know, that I acquired at some point. I don't even know where the heck it came from. And we had always kind of seen that in the market. I'd been selling 38 States at one point in time. And, you know, and there's these amazing wineries and these distributors have them sitting in their book. But since the grocery stores don't want them, they want big bulk amounts and there's no restaurants, they had nowhere to go. So just kind of one day sitting here like, you know what, I want people to be able to try these. And so that's where the store kind of came out of. Um, that's where the idea of the store kind of came out of to do small, you know, outside the United States wines. And there's other reasons for that as well, because domestically are the wine world domestically, especially out of California, has gotten very generic. Has gotten they have put a lot of sugar, a lot of additives, stuff like that into the wine world because to make a million cases to fill all these big chain orders, there's getting to be less and less grapes in there and a lot of more additives. And so all these wines that are 600 case production out of Hungary have nowhere to go. And you know, so that's where I kind of thought we would try and help people, uh, or not so much help them. I'm not helping anybody, that's not what we do here, but maybe exposing them. And you know, I say it takes itself too seriously, this industry, and I'm talking about helping people, but expose people to some of the stuff that maybe they wouldn't get 
walking the aisle at Target. Yeah. And when I went to Marco Polo with a couple of girlfriends, one thing that you had said right when we sat down was you really wanted to get people sort of away from the cabs and the Merlots and your Sauvignon Blanc and sort of the three wines, I think, especially when you do go out to eat. For people who don't have a lot of knowledge of wine, those are kinds of wines that are recognizable and are familiar. And I think a lot of people tend to stick with what's familiar. So it was a really fun experience to try wines from Argentina and all these places that I never knew were wine country, quote unquote, to say, and these different kinds of wines we had never tried. So how are you finding these wines? You said you are uh, specifically looking in South America and Europe. So how are you going about finding the wines you offer? There's still good distributors out there and there's still good wine reps out there. They work for smaller and medium-sized companies. Like everything else in here, just be nice to them. Those people have a rough job. You know, especially as they're losing market share in the in the in the big grocery store chains, they're fighting for what's left in restaurants and they're fighting. But those are the ones that go out and find the cool wines on some of it, uh, and they bring them to me. I also look through their books and what they're import, and then I also luckily have enough connections in the industry from various years that I know you know some wines that aren't here, and I know some regions. So I you know I call X Y Z importer that I've worked with in the past, or is it just a friend or somebody I've sat at some wine festival and drank wine with and ate crazy amounts of stupid food with and uh, made a relationship and, you know, call them. I'm like, Hey, what do you have? That's really cool. And that guy might go, Hey, we have a Tanat from Uruguay. That'll absolutely blow your mind. I'm like, what's the production on it? Uh, 500 cases and only 250 of those come to, you know, come to America. I'm like, all right, well, let's get that registered in Missouri and we'll bring it into my shop. And that's how a lot of the original wine started. Um, now that we've got some business going, the distributors stop in every couple of weeks and we have a wine in here from Armenia that the rep was like, we got it. We only got a few cases. We thought this was up your alley. I bought a wine today. Only three cases came to Missouri, three. And so it's a fun little, and it's actually domestic and it, you know, it's from Oregon, but only three cases were released to the state of Missouri. So a lot of the wines, traditional method with the distributor coming in, tasting me and showing me the wine. So it's about a third, I would say a third me looking out for uh, me looking or calling one of my importer friends, just kind of asking even like, Hey, you got any crazy things? What do you, what do you got? Like what, what's, what's nuts in your book. That's really good. And then a third, me having a little bit of knowledge of just holes in my book. For example, we have a bunch of, we're bringing in a bunch of Croatian wines. Uh, Croatia is one of the best wine regions in the world. They're amazing. And they're, they're growing hand over fist. And I just knew I had a hole there and I kind of called around to some friends and I found an importer uh, for Croatian wines, tried some of their samples and, you know, then you have to, then you have to go down all the legal paperwork and all that kind of stuff to get it here. But, you know, that's the way we do a lot of that stuff. So, you know, there's downtime in this industry. There's a lot of times there's people not in the store. So, you know, the old Google machine helps a lot, but having, having some baseline knowledge helps a lot too. As far as, so customers coming into Marco Polo, can you explain a little more of how it's set up and the tasting and just the overall experience that customers have when, when they visit. Absolutely. So we are at 75th corner of 75th and Warnell 336 West 75th. If you're putting that into your, uh, into your maps. So we're small, we're like 900 square feet in here. The easiest way to explain it is there's, there's two or three routes we can take. So you walk in the front of the store, you're going to notice, you're going to notice some tables on the right, wines on the left, uh, big chalkboard. Uh, essentially, you can, uh, the easiest way to explain it is we love to do 
free wine tastings here. We don't charge for our tastings. Our tastings are our way of marketing to expose people to Armenian whites or to Turkish reds or to Uruguay reds or to even, you know, like Cava or Prosecco. These, some of these wines that people have seen before and maybe a little afraid of. So you're always welcome to come in, sit down, do a free wine tasting with us. I'll walk you through four or five wines or Talia or Jennifer, or whomever's here. They're all wonderful. Walk you through four or five wines. And then if there's something there that sticks out, people take them with them when they leave here and then they can go home and tell the same story to their friends in their neighborhood that we told them. You're always welcome just to stop into the store and grab some wines. We love to, you know, give suggestions or, you know, if you're just coming in to grab one bottle for dinner that night, or if you need to fill out your wine locker, you know, we, we see it all in here. But if you go to our website, marcopoloselections.com, there's a book a table on there. That's usually the easiest way to ensure that there's a spot for you here for our tasting bar. Uh, we're open Wednesday through Saturday, one to eight. Uh, we're looking at opening Tuesdays uh, as, as, as we need to. Maybe as we get closer to the holidays, we'll open Tuesdays. But one to eight seems to fit us pretty well. We do tastings from one to 7.30. You're always, those are the hours available. You don't have to have a reservation. Our reservations are there to ensure that we have a spot for you. I know I don't have to explain reservations to your listeners, but that's our way of making sure we have a spot. But if you ever just want to stop in and see what we've got available, feel free. Uh, we do do private events here. So groups larger than 10, just send us an email on the website or DM us on Instagram at Marco Polo Selections. We'll work with your small group. We do 40th birthday parties in here all the time. We do wedding receptions, uh, that kind of stuff. Because we have found, this has always been in the back of my head as, a, as, as, a, as somebody that's been in the wine industry a long time. People like wine. They really like wine. They really like the stories of wine. They like the small producers. 95% of the population doesn't know anything about it. And so when you come in here and I do my tastings, I don't tell you a lot to taste. I, we'll do these tastings. People will be like, oh, you carry strawberries and fruit. It's not what we do in here. I tell you the story because whatever I say, a lot of people just agree with because they don't want to sound stupid. That's not our vibe in here. Our vibe is like, ask questions, figure out what you like. I would much rather have you do something on a tasting board and not like it. So when you come in the next time, just to grab a six pack for a party you're going to, we know what you like and what you don't like. And we're super laid back and still, and this is where the being too serious comes across. Just this industry, people don't want to sound stupid. It's supposed to be fun, right? And so people don't want to sound stupid and they don't want to sound like they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm wrong nine times before breakfast. I'm wrong all the time. It's fine to come in here and be like, look, I know I like red. and I know I like it to be big and bold, or I don't like big and bold. I want white and I want fruit. Great. Let's figure that out. So we know exactly what we're going to do and hopefully put you in a family winery. That's not full of a bunch of additives. Uh, and we're going to keep it 15, 25, 30 bucks. And you know, we have a lot of repeat customers because of that. One of the things I really loved about my experience at Marco Polo was the table we sat at had like paper on it and you gave little pencils or pens to make notes, which was super helpful. Cause again, as someone, as you said, I love wine, know nothing about it. I, yeah. I know the general, you know, I like dry reds, white every once in a while, but I'm definitely in the 95 percentile of, I love wine, don't know a lot about it. And so having the option to write notes down was really great. Cause even remembering names of wine for me is hard, especially with there being wines that you're unfamiliar with. And it was just really helpful to go back and say, you know, I, I think I walked out with like three or four bottles of wine, <laughs> but it was so helpful because I was looking back at my notes and saying, okay, which did I like? Okay. This one I wrote, I really didn't like. And it was funny because one of the girlfriends I went, we had very opposite tastes 
of wine, the wine I really didn't like, she loved, and it was an orange wine, which was like so fascinating to me. Yeah, it was a little too funky for me, but she loved it. And so it was just a fun experience, like to keep it laid back and, and just enjoyable to have a situation around wine where you can talk about wine and where the wine's from and, you know, not have to talk about, oh, the hints of chocolate or whatever. So yeah, that, uh, we always, the, the table runner thing's funny just because, uh, crazy anxiety brain, which I think our entire generation's got just because we've been stuck to cell phones our entire life. And so we're all FOMO all the time or whatever that those came from, because I love adult coloring books. Like at night when I'm sitting there and I'm trying to decompress and go to sleep or just watch some generic TV show that I've watched 300 times, like Parks and Rec or West Wing or something. A lot of times I'll just take a coloring book. And so that's kind of where that came from with those table runners. Like, let's just put these here Sometimes people take notes. Sometimes people just straight up draw. We've had like straight up amazing artwork on those things. Uh, We also put out like card games and we put out uh, board games and we put out wine trivia stuff. We want people to sit here and enjoy themselves and other places do wine tastings. We're not the first ones to do it. I've never claimed to be, but we want people to be a little bit more of a casual environment. You can sit here for 30 minutes. You can sit here for two hours. I don't care. I want you to come in have a good time. People bring their food, their own food quite a bit. Um, we're fine with that. You bring in like a lot of folks bring in their own cheese boards or, you know, we're right next to Waldo pizza and a couple other places we've had, we've seen it all in here, you know, and we really like when people do that, they bring in their own stuff, but yeah, we want you to come in here and play phase 10 and drink yourself, drink your four or five tasters and, you know, have a good time. And then we'll see you again in three weeks when your wine shelf's out. You know, that's what we see from a lot of people. And the table runner thing's funny. It came from crippling anxiety and ADHD. (laughs) And and that's, I wish there was a better story, but that's it. Silver lining in every situation. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so as a business owner, what are some of the struggles that you have faced owning your own business? Did I mention crippling anxiety and ADHD? Uh, it's worse when it's, you know, it's every week you, you're looking at finances and every week you're looking at sales and you're hoping it stays in the black as long as possible. And uh, that has been tough. City dealing with city regulations was the single hardest thing we've dealt with here. Um, fortunately, in the last couple of weeks, I feel like there's been some positive movement on that front, but this wonderful city we're in doesn't make it easy on small business owners, but I feel like that's starting to, you know, that's, that's turning an aircraft carrier, right? That's, it's a tough thing to do. It's not going to happen immediately, but it's starting, but that was the toughest thing. Um, changing your schedule has been a little bit. I have two daughters. I have a wonderful St. Elizabeth's here, where, which is our neighbor. Uh, I have two daughters there. It's just going from, but it's better because I'm not traveling as much and my wife's not traveling as much. It's another thing that came out of COVID. I think everybody figured out you can do Zoom like this and get as much done. With that being said, the the single hardest part was city regulations, period, exclamation point. And then, you know, just the stuff that goes with it. Damn sinks, you know, like I got to figure out a way to get the sink fixed. You know, <laughs> our air conditioner went out. It was a, it, fortunately, I have a wonderful landlord and I have a wonderful neighborhood and I have a wonderful group of people around me. But, you know, just the little things, there's, there's just a lot of mail. There's a lot of just mail I don't need. My paper shredder, I, people joke, they, I love my paper shredder. Like if this place caught on fire, I'm grabbing my shredder and my safe and I'm heading out. But just little things like that. And it's every day. Every day there's something new that's, you know, you got to go deal with. But if I had to 
point to two things. It would be just the, you know, the day-to-day finances, making sure this thing's going to work. There's a lot of doubt, you know, you got to, you know, you're jumping in the, you're kind of jumping in the deep end and hoping you remember how to swim. Right. And, uh, and then just the regulations, fortunately, my wife is just dramatically like not even the same realm smarter than me. Like I, I barely have opposable thumbs and she's a borderline genius. And so it's one of those things where she's wonderful and she helps out a lot, but support structure, Emily and Jeff, who are, you know, part owners of the store as well. They're wonderful and we're a good team. Yeah. Those are some of the, just the, just the stuff that has really made it hard to run a small business, just the constant licenses and regulations. And, and we're in the booze industry and the booze industry has got more than anything else. A lot of red tape, a lot of, you know, a lot goes into this industry. That's, that's just nuts that other people don't have. I was talking to a recent restaurant owner and like his food just comes in like every day. Like he just puts an order in online and it just comes in. Like he doesn't have to worry about any of the other stuff that we have. So that's some of the biggest stuff is just trying to keep everything, keep all the paperwork up to date because we have, you know, every brand has to be registered. Every, you know, every label of every brand has to be registered, not only federally, but in each and every state. So that's why Kansas and Missouri sometimes have wildly different stuff. And it's all done by a lot of our stuff's done by allocation. So, so many cases that come to each state. So just keeping up on all that, like my office is very clean right now, if you look at it in the podcast, but if I took this camera like two inches that way, it's a wild disaster over there that I'm trying not to focus on, but yeah. Yeah. I have talked to someone, another episode I had in the past was with Bronson from Bronson's Milk Punch. Mm -hmm. And he had talked about, yeah, with especially the Kansas and Missouri, you know, we're Kansas city is one of those cities in the unique place where sometimes you forget what state you're almost in. Well, minus the potholes. I think you always know where you (laughs) are with the potholes, but in general, I think sometimes people forget they really are two different states. And I've been hearing more and more stories about, especially with liquor, how there's just the different regulations and, and everything like that and how business owners, you really have to keep up with it because, you know, we're so close to state line and the Kansas side that it just, yeah, there's a lot of uh, well, shit. Have, we have suppliers that'll like call me and they'll be like, Hey, this is our distributor. Or like, you know, I'm talking about, I bring a lot of these brands into Missouri that like, oh no, we have a distributor, you know, they're right down the street from you. Well, sir, madam, those are in Kansas, wildly different states. So we need to re-register everything on the Missouri side, you know, that kind of stuff. And I had a boss come into town one time and we were driving down state line road and he's from Texas, right? He's always lived in Texas his entire life. Just mortified that kids on that side of the road and kids on that side of the road go to different schools, you know, and it's just, it's one of those things, but that's, you know, our industry, and I'm sure that I'm sure Bronson's deals with the same thing. We are, I don't know if we're the most regulated industry out there, but we're, we've, we've got to be in the conversation and it does get, it weighs on you. It gets old real fast. You know, you're like, I just have a 900 foot square foot wine store. I just want to sell these really good wines to these good people that are coming in here and you you get the laundry list of reasons why you can't, it wears on you a little bit, but you know, you got to keep pushing forward because your other options are just to not <laughs> that's, and that's in itself, not an option. Right. So it's, that's, that's what we try and do, but Kansas city is a fun city. Kansas city is, I think a growing city. I think Kansas city's as somebody that lived in Denver for six, seven years, it's a cheap city. It just, you know, it's got its little intricacies. And I think the state line, I think Johnson County suburbs, I don't know how to say it without, I grew up in the Johnson County suburbs. I grew up out there, but the Johnson County suburbs, everybody knows are pretty affluent, but the cities in Kansas city, Missouri. Right. And so I think a lot of, there's a lot of issues there with 
all the bars and restaurants for the most part are on the Missouri side, you know, but a lot of those people that visit those places are on the Kansas side. And that is, you know, I think it's a constant struggle for the city to have to manage, you know, day in and day out. That's why we're on the Missouri side is we get better wines on this side. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Missouri, Missouri's just got a bigger population. A lot of these wineries base their allocations off population. You know, it's just like Missouri's got, Missouri's got two big population centers. They've got, you know, and Kansas has got Overland Park and Wichita. And, you know, so they'll look at it and they'll be like, all right, you know, we only have 15 cases between Kansas and Missouri. So we're going to send 12 of those to Missouri and three to Kansas, you know, and so that's how allocations work. With wine, I mean, just in general, what is it about wine specifically that you love so much and you have talked about bringing people together and not taking it so seriously. So what is it about wine that you're, you feel passionate about? Uh, it's you're, everybody's happy when they're drinking wine. People are in a good mood. Like I don't think people sad drink wine. Right. And it's just, it, to be perfectly honest, when I quit the restaurant industry, like we talked about before, I'm not a morning person. I've never claimed to be a morning person. And in this industry, you don't really have to be. Um, so that's what I kind of started into, but what I've, what I've realized and when I've gotten into it is it's just people are in good moods and they're drinking wine and that's our vibe in here. Like just relax, you know, we're drinking, we're drinking fermented grapes. We, I don't want to cuss too much, but we have a big sign here that says they're effing fermented grapes. Relax. Like it's, everybody's usually in a good mood when they're sitting around drinking a bottle of wine because they're sharing stories and they're sharing and they're breaking bread together. That is something we really love about the wine industry is if you're drinking a bottle of wine, you're probably something, there could be worse things going on, you know? And so that is what kind of fuels now is seeing the smiles and seeing the the laughter and seeing the stories and seeing the, you know, the people just having a good time and kind of forgetting for an hour, everything that kind of ails them. We're all sensory overloaded right now. We're all, we have too many decisions right now. I, I forgot to mention earlier, but we only keep like 30 SKUs in the store. When I say SKUs, I mean like individual labels because we're just, we have to make too many decisions, right? With There's just too many options, just in general of everything. And so we purposely only keep 30 SKUs in here because at the end of the day, too many, you're, you've made 900 decisions by the time people have come to see me. Come here, we'll knock it down to 30. We'll take those 30. We'll knock it down to four that you like and we'll send you on your way, you know? And that is what I like about the industry. It's just, I just think we're all, we're all wound. So like, just coming out of COVID and with just constant barraging of bad news all the time, people come in here, they play Uno, they figure out that they really dig Armenian wine. And then, you know, they leave here smiling and hoping to go on to make somebody else's day better. So that's, that's what, that's what we like about it. There's just something about wine that just is it's story time and it's, and it's time to, you know, get together and, and hang out and, you know, talk about, you know, talk about the past and talk about the future. And, you know, that's, that's what we really like about it. And I'm rambling when it comes to this, but it's really hard to put into, but just this, you know, and without sounding too, you know, cheesy, and there's just the smiles and the, and the emotions that come with it because very rarely are you drinking wine, you're, you're pissed off. So that's, that's, that's usually what it is. And it's just fun. It's just fun. Having tried so many different wines, different varieties, what's one of your favorite your favorite wines? Uh, it, it's really seasonal, um, depending on, I really love a grape called Carmenere. It's out of Chile. I don't have a single one in the store. I've, <laughs> I'm like in this constant search to find the perfect Carmenere. It's like this grape out of Chile. It's, and it's really good with like grilled meats and smoked meats and stuff. 
I've reached out to my distributors. I've reached out to my supplier friends. I've reached out to my import friends. And maybe I'm just being way too picky on it because there's some out there, but Carmenere. But then there was a period of my life where I drank nothing but Syrah for like six months. And then I woke up one day and I was like, if I drink another Syrah, I'm going to freak out. So it really does rotate. Um, and then rosé pink, pink bubbles, pink bubbles all day, every day. I don't care where they come from pink bubbles, but really the unicorn for me right now is a Carmenere and I can't find a good one. I'll probably end up by the time I find one, I'll probably hate it. So it's one of those things, but pink bubbles, our ratio, I just talked about, we only keep like 30 SKUs in here because just everybody's just over. I, there's a term for it and it's, it's beyond me, but it's just like decision, decision fatigue. Everybody's on decision fatigue all the time, but our ratio of bubbles to everything else in here is probably a little high right now. And that's because this guy hasn't found a bubbles. He doesn't like it. But with that being said, I get it. I take a little grief from people about not liking certain styles of white wine. I like white wine. I just think they're more picky on it than I am probably my reds, but, uh, that's that if you had to ask me right now, if I had to go pick two bottles, Carmenere from Chile, but like a well done one, the problem with, I don't want to get too technical in it, but the problem with Carmenere is they pick it too early. A lot of people thought it was Merlot and it came out super green. Carmenere is that done right. And then pink bubbles. And then to round out the bronze medal, there's not a super Tuscan in this world. I haven't liked either. Yeah. Those are, those are the ones. And then if you ask me tomorrow, it'll probably be a different. Yeah. That's, that's a good list. I, I love a good a good rosé. I'm always, oh. I tend to, even with my like liquor, hard liquor yeah. drinks, I tend to always go for pink drinks. It's kind of the joke in a, yeah. with some, with some of my friends. I, even if it's not intentional, I always order a pink drink. So. Oh yeah. You know, I'll take grief. <laughs> it's, it's not the most masculine thing in the world to drink pink bubbles. Right. And I could absolutely care less. I'm like, I'm going to drink this entire bottle of rosé cava and you guys can, yeah. I've heard the jokes guys. I've heard them. Don't care. They're there. <laughs> like I, I love pink bubbles and I will drink, I will die on that hill. I love it. No, no shame. So <laughs> when you are not focused on running your business, what does life in Kansas city look like for you? Yeah. So I live in Brookside, Brookside, Waldo, wherever you want to call it. The stores in Waldo, my kids go to school at St. Elizabeth's in Waldo. So we try and be very involved with the school um, and then I also coach a lot of softball. So I'm the head softball coach at St. Teresa's. I just took that job a couple months ago. So we're just kind of starting getting into summer, summer workouts. We're in camp right now. Uh, I also coach U12 softball. I coach U10 softball, which my oldest daughter's on, which we weren't speaking for a day earlier this week because this guy probably overreacted. In my defense, it was the easiest play and it, the error cost two runs. So I'm just going to leave it there and I'm going to get over it. But we do uh, a lot of softball uh, sport. We're sports fans. The Rileys are sports fans. My, my wife didn't grow up being a sports fan, but God love her. She's, she's brought it on. We, you know, we're chiefs fans. We're Royals fans. Although they are, they're making it incredibly difficult to be a Royals fan. My daughter does competitive gymnastics. So in the winter time, we're traveling for that. I think this year we went to St. Louis, went to Minneapolis, Omaha, and this next year, there's, I, I didn't even look at the list. It's because it just all looks like dollar signs to me. So, but we're traveling again there. Uh, and then we have a six-year-old who is funny. If she would have been the first kid, we'd probably be an only child family. But uh, she is very good at going with the flow. I mean, letting everybody know that she is there while we're going with the flow, but absolutely. So that's what it is. It's a lot of softball. Uh, and I mentioned it earlier, but we, we love our neighbor. We love our neighborhood. Um, we love Brookside. It's very family oriented there. And then we love being part of St. Elizabeth's 
and being part of the culture there. We, once you turn like 35, you get real big in either like World War II history or smoking meats, right? I saw that on a meme somewhere and I stole it, but you know, so we, we're, we try and, and we try and smoke, smoke meats on Sunday and we do the smoking Waldo competition with some friends, but yeah, it's, that's, that's it. It's just trying to be family. And the girls are here a lot. I mean, my wife's here a lot. I'm here a lot. So if you ever see a 10 year old running around Marco Polo or a six year old, they're probably our kids. They're great too. They sit in the back and, you know, probably too much iPad time when we're at the store, but not a lot you can do about that. So if you had asked it's softball as, I mean, I have a softball game. I got to go coaching tonight. I was at St. Teresa's from seven to nine this morning. I love napping. Like I really love taking naps. Whew, I love a good nap. So I went home, caught a, caught an hour of Z there, you know, and then had to be back at the store to meet, you know, meet some delivery drivers and to get, you know, some stuff planned out. But that's, we love good restaurants too. And I'm glad the restaurant industry is starting to figure itself out. There's, you know, we know the usual suspects here and we love all of them. We love exploring new places. We love eating out. Our daughter celiac, our oldest one. So she's, more than willing and able to try everything. So we like to go take her places. I really like that we're starting to get some different stuff here in Kansas City, some more ethnic food and some more, you know, seafood options and stuff like that instead of just barbecue all the time. Because although it's wonderful, you know, you can only eat so many ribs, man. So that's what we like to do as a lot of softball. Oof, a lot of softball, a lot of softball. And you know, it's I come from a huge softball family. So it was one of those things that you know, just kind of, just kind of happened and not that much different than the store. Like the opportunity was kind of presented and I was like, yeah, I guess this is what we're doing now. So that is, uh, that's what it looks like, um, at the Riley house. And then, uh, same things mowing my yard and staring at it while drinking my coffee for about 10 minutes and <laughs> debating and then, you know, kind of shamefully, like looking at your neighbors, being like, man, his grass is greener than mine. But, uh, you know, that's what it looks like a lot of times, but we, uh, and my folks, one of them lives here. One of them lives in Florida. We would like to travel more than we do. I really want to get to the gold coast. We really, we're trying to get down to, uh, you know, like the Biloxi, Mississippi, Panhandle, Alabama area of the world. That's one of the parts of the United States we haven't been to. And then I have another goal to, to have a cocktail or a drink in all 50 States. And so that's, uh, that's on the to-do list. I think I'm in the mid thirties. But I'm missing like that whole kind of like Maine, Rhode Island, New Hampshire area. I guess we'll be over here. Uh, so I feel like that's one trip. That's like, that's like two days, right? You can just kind of hammer that area out. They're all within like an hour of each other. So those are kind of on the the short list to do list. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a fun goal. My I have a bucket <laughs> yeah. list item of visiting all fifty states. Gotcha. Not doing anything specific in them, just gotcha. visiting them, but it has to be like a real visit. I don't count like driving layovers. through or layovers. Yeah. It has to yeah. be like minimum 10 hours. You have to be out of some form of transportation and like seeing the city. Right. So yeah. Yeah. that That's, it's been on the list for a while and I've got the better part of the West coast done. I've got the Midwest handled the, uh, but yeah, we would like to get down into that. We have friends that go down there pretty much every year. And, and I think it's being growing up landlocked your entire life. You want obviously what, what you can't have or what you can't have daily. And I just want to go down there. I just want to eat shrimp, like just every meal, like just go until I'm sick of it. And you know, that's kind of on the, that's kind of on the next to-do list. My wife and I both turned 40 this year. So that might be on the, uh, that might be on the 40th birthday. If we can ever get away from softball in the store for a little bit. That'd be so fun. So what are some other things yeah. that you love just about Kansas City in general and the community here? The easiest way to explain Kansas City to people when I talk to people is, that, you know, with the importers and stuff, a lot of them, very few of them actually live here. And they're like, what do, you, what do you live there for, man? I'm like, it's easy to live here. 
is my easiest way to explain it. What I like about Kansas City is every, for the most part, people are nice. The economy is pretty good. There's no traffic. There, you know, the cost of living is not crazy. The people are nice. You know, it's you walk into a store, people say hi. It's just that's for the most part what I like about KC is just how easy it is to live here. You know, it's got its it's got its issues. Um, I'm pretty vocal on a few of the on a few of the issues, but with that being said, what I like about Kansas City, I grew up here, went through. Uh, I think we might have moved here when I was in kindergarten, first grade, somewhere around there. I grew up in Overland Park area, went to St. Thomas Aquinas for high school, went away to college. So I, there's a sense of community here that is very is very open and you know brings a lot of people in. Uh, I love that it's a younger city. You know, we're bringing a lot of folks from you know outside of Kansas City, and I'm not gonna lie to you, winning a World Series helps you're winning a super bowl helps you know you're like it does it, it's sad to say but doing those things brings a little gravitas to your cities ever since those two things have happened i felt like Kansas city has been kind of on an upward trend a little bit you know we got to put the baseball stadium downtown that's just something that has to happen you know for the sake of the city the new airport is going to be great for the city the world cup is going to be great for the city even if it is a one of those things where you just you know it's something that needed to be done it probably needed to be done 20 years ago but with that being said it's it's exciting and i think we're starting to really we're really starting to use the assets that are, that are part of us. So like Berkeley riverfront, it's going to be awesome when it's done. We have a riverfront in the city. We have water in the city. We just don't use it. You know, and that's what something that's always frustrated me, but a lot of that stuff is, you know, whether it's outside money or whatever it is, it's really is starting to kind of change some of these areas that are available to us that we just haven't developed for whatever reason. And, um, but I really like just the ease of living in Kansas city. When I was in Denver, you would just sit there, you'd sit in your car. I used to like, stop at the Dave and Buster's on the way home. If I didn't get out a certain account that there was a target by a Dave and Buster's over there. And if I wasn't out of there by like three 30 or four, I would just go sit at Dave and Buster's and play like video games <laughs> for like two hours. And I would call my wife and be like, Hey, I'm just not, gonna it's just stuff like that that you got to do. You don't have to do that in KC. It's 55, 60 at five 30 in the afternoon here. It's fine. You know, and you know, it's getting more expensive here, but so is everywhere else. So it's not like we're, you know, outpacing on that. So I like the people here. I grew up here. I talked to the same idiots I went to kindergarten with or first grade or whatever it was, you know, on a daily basis. That's what I really do like about the city is just, it's just kind of, it's just, you know, it's just nice. People are nice. So you, you mentioned there are some things that um, you're pretty vocal about mm -hmm. not loving about Kansas City. So what if there were things you could change about Kansas City, what would they be? Yeah, I feel like the city's stuck, or at least until very recently, the city hated change more than it hated anything else. It just hated change. Just the, the airport needed to be, we lost lots of revenue. We lost lots of stuff because the airport was so bad. So that's exciting that that's going to be done. I think in the next year, you probably know better than I do. Uh, I really think Berkeley Riverfront is going to come a long way, but I also think that it's the stuff that I dealt with and other people in the city I know have dealt with is the, you know, the laws and regulations around small businesses and how hard it is for a lot of us to get off the ground because everything is set up to kind of keep small business at bay. And whether it's for competition, whether that's just, you know, various different powers that be, but it is what it is, I think, and not to get too far into it, I think a lot of the you know, a lot of the economics of this city are on the Kansas side and a lot of the entertainment stuff's on the Missouri side. And one side's not necessarily willing to pay a lot of money to make the other side better. That, when we were in Denver, Coors Field was already downtown, but it was still relatively new downtown. And it's just a, a vital downtown is important to any city. You have to have a vital downtown. You have to have people wanting to live downtown. 
downtown. You have to want people to be downtown. That's what brings the young people in. A lot of 24 year olds that just got out of school don't want to move to the suburbs. You know, they want to be downtown. They want to be in an apartment. They want to go where the cool restaurants and bars and speakeasies and that kind of stuff is. That's where they meet people. I feel like Kansas City has fought that. I feel like Kansas City has done, until recently, done a pretty poor job of marketing itself to the younger generations and you know changing stuff that needs to be changed. Um, the Women's Soccer Stadium in Berkeley down there, I think it's going to be amazing. Uh, I think the airport was the first step, but you know, we're behind on, uh, you know, we're, we're just behind on light rail We're behind on food trucks and we're behind. And it's all just based off just city stuff, man. And, and I think the economics of the city play into that a little bit and it's starting to change. I do think it's starting to change a little bit. That's, and that's good, but you know, there's no reason the city is behind a lot of like Omaha has a better downtown. Well, that's not true. That's, that's an insane thing to say. And I apologize for it, but Omaha has got a good downtown and it's like a third of the size of the city, you know, and it's, you just have to, we need to just do a better job of using the assets that we've got. It all starts with the downtown baseball stadium. That thing has to come downtown. The, where are they going to park arguments? Ludicrous. There's 25,000 people every day leave downtown. Those spots are available. And then if you had a decent light rail or some sort of public transportation, you know, that's a big part of that too. So there's the the down the stadium has to come. I don't even really care where it goes. If it goes to 18th and Vine, if it goes over to the West East Bottoms, if it goes to down by Berkeley, like I don't care where it goes. It just needs to be downtown, and everything kind of stems stems from there. And then you can turn Arrowhead into like this big Chiefs thing, right? Because there's eight home games a year. So I get incredibly frustrated when people are like, "Oh, you're going to lose tailgating." Like nobody's tailgating 82 games a year. Like that's insane to think. Like it's just not happening. But people do tailgate eight games a year. So you take Hoffman and, you know, you can make that in just Chiefs Central. There's baseball is one of those things that you go after work, you loosen your tie, you walk in, you have two beers someplace, you have an appetizer, you walk into the stadium in the second inning, you sit there, you have a good time, seventh, eighth inning, you leave, you know, and you go home. When I was traveling for work, I would go to baseball games all the time because you'd be in some down, you'd be in some downtown hotel, you know, you're sitting there, you're like, shit, what am I going to do for the next five hours? And, you know, you walk across in Cincinnati, you walk across the Kings Bridge and ballparks right there and you watch a couple innings and then you go back to your hotel room. And I do think Kansas City's done. I think the new hotels are awesome. I really do. The, the couple of new ones are down there. That's only going to help. But now we've got to, you know, we got to keep going. We can't just be like, all right, we're good now and, and, and stop. Um, I'm excited to see what kind of infrastructure the World Cup brings, um, if any. But I feel like you're going to kind of have to update some stuff because nobody like, you know, you don't go to, it's depressing. Like going to Kauffman stadium is depressing outside of the actual stadium. Right. Like it's like Denny's and there's like a Taco Bell and that's it. Right. And so if you, and for us, that live in Brookside for us to live in downtown and crossroads and stuff, our, our neighborhoods are better for that kind of stuff than the ballpark is. Right. And so it's, you go out there a couple times a year, but I was just recently out there and somebody was talking to us, talking to somebody about it. And I'm like, man, I'd probably have season tickets if I lived, if it was downtown and I was 10 minutes away and I, you know, I could go catch a, you know, grab a beer or an appetizer beforehand and then walk into the stadium and then do the same thing on the way out and then head home. So that is what I think. I just think the infrastructure of this city is way behind what it needs to be. And it's, it's starting to get there, but there's no reason to have a riverfront with nothing on it except for, I, you know, I don't even know what's that like Barquet's down there. Now they do a really good job. Uh, I think the casinos, like there's like a Bally's casino or something that I've literally never been into in my entire life. So it's, but the development down there is, is looking very promising.
Yeah, I'm in total agreement that the changes that are happening are 100% necessary. And I am really excited to to see where they go. I am also from Leewood, Overland Park area. And a lot of my family, like my brother, hasn't lived here since high school. My uncles haven't lived here since high school. So every time they come home, it's kind of fun to see this wow moment of, oh my gosh, look at where it is now and look at how much has changed. And I'm really excited right now to see that continue. And in five years, what's the city going to look like? And there's just, I, I really think, yeah, with these changes, there's, there's going to be so many opportunities. I think it's a kind of a, a bag of emotions living here right now. It's exciting. It's frustrating. It's, you know, everyone's kind of on the edge of their seat of what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm choosing to focus on the exciting aspect of all of the changes right. and hoping that these changes will just continue to lead to other development a- across the city. Yeah. What's Kansas City's reputation has always been what? Great place to raise your family, but not cool. Right. And so, yes, I mean, exactly. I, I, I'm, I'm a person that lived here. So it was like, no, man, I'm not spending my late twenties here, picked up and moved to Denver, you know? And so I think Kansas city needs to, it's starting to get that reputation of being, it's got, I mean, the, the art with the art Institute and all that stuff's amazing here. That brings a really cool dynamic uh, to the city that, you know, not everybody's got, but I think we need to lean into that, you know, a little bit more and really try and start becoming, I don't know what the right word is. It's not cool. That's not the right word. That's insane thing to say, but it's just, it's not cool to live in Kansas city, right? It's, it makes sense. It's a fiscally responsible place to live, but it's not cool. You know, usually fiscally responsible and cool don't go hand in hand, right? right, right. And Kansas City, <laughs> Kansas City has always been like the, hey, it's cheap, but it's a good place to raise your family, but it's never really been cool, you know? And so yeah. hopefully we hopefully we start seeing some of that changes. And some of these, some of these people that grow up in Dallas and Houston and Omaha and some of these places, Denver, and they start seeing Kansas City and seeing it as a viable option that they want to move to. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, Kansas City always ends up on one of those lists as like the worst possible place to date, which is why yeah. I think a lot of people are like, I love Kansas people who are from here, are like, I love Kansas City. I'll definitely move back when I'm 40, married and with children. Yeah. And yeah. I I like to take a lot of pride in the fact that I'm in my late 20s and met my boyfriend here. And I'm like, well, I have a successful dating <laughs> story. So I hope everyone else. <laughs> can experience the same thing but I also know like dating here is hard and and tough so hopefully another thing with with all the changes coming and more jobs bringing people here and more young people move hopefully yeah it'll be it'll be more of a destination city of you know when people graduate college no I'm I'm gonna look at Kansas City and that's a cool place yeah like I said a a cool place and (laughs) yeah I like I've heard that Kansas City's rough to date and I obviously have no idea but like they have it's just one of those things that, yeah, when people get out of school, look around and come here and, you know, get a job and then set up roots and, and then go from there. But to do that, you need the infrastructure. You need the, you need the new airport. You need the downtown stadium. You need the cool hotels. You need that. I mean, that I think the city not having a main research university downtown hurts with a lot of the young people as well. You know, KU Med's awesome. That area over there by KU Med has grown so much in the last five years. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's starting to it's starting to get there. But to get those young that younger generation in, and they need to also stay in as somebody that lives in Brookside, they also need to stay on, you know, in the in the Kansas City, Missouri proper. So many people, yeah, we're 25, 28, 30 Missouri proper, and then they move to the other side of the state line once once they have kids for various reasons. And so, you know, that's another that's another, you know, problem that I think is 
maybe not unique to the city, but definitely, you know, some us and just a handful of others have to, you know, have to deal with. So is there anything you have coming up at Marco Polo that you want listeners to know about? Any special wines you have that will be available at the shop anytime soon? Yeah. So we're always bringing it like literally every every week we got new stuff coming in every week because we deal in, and if you come in and talk and talk to us, we'll explain allocations to you. But a lot of times, you know, we get three or four cases of something and it's gone and we have to bring in something new to replace it. So that is, we've got a lot of stuff coming in right now. We're in a lot of bubbles, a lot of whites, stuff like that, but we've, I'm stoked to have these Croatian wines that we're bringing in. Uh, we're just waiting for Missouri to approve them. We've got a lot of stuff like that coming in. Nothing really specifically, but we are very excited. Our just our overall growth. So June is all, one of the, always the slowest wine months throughout the twelve months of the year, and our June's better than our May already. Our May was better than our April. So we're we're slowly starting to start the word starting to get out. We we pulled people from Lawrence. We pulled people from Lee Summit. We pulled people from North Kansas City. We always just kind of thought it was going to be you know, kind of Waldo Brookside and, you know, we'd be, we, we were happy with that, but I think people are starting to kind of figure out that our vibe is really laid back. You can come in here and be like, look, I don't know the difference between Cabin Merlot. And I've always been too afraid to ask and we'll do it without, without hopefully making you feel insecure about it. And so we don't do a ton of events. We have uh, an event coming up with the Crackerology folks, which will be very exciting. It was a couple of women from North Kansas City that during COVID, they were drinking wine. They made these little Crackerology boxes. We have an event with them coming up. But we like to do these little these little events, especially with other small businesses that you know we're all gripping and trying to do the very best that we can. So we've got a lot of that stuff coming up. But we like to tell people just stop in because it's almost a little bit too laissez-faire sometimes around here. We'll be like, eh, I forgot this thing was coming in. Everything's kind of always changing around here, which is kind of always the fun part too. Yeah, perfect. And then I know you mentioned earlier um, your website and your Instagram name, but will you mention those again for uh, anyone who wants to uh, check out your website, check you out on on Instagram? Yes. Yeah, so it's triple uh, W Marco Polo Selections with an S dot com. And then our Instagram is at Marco Polo Selections. And apparently that talks to Facebook, like you're talking to the wrong person on that one. But uh, that's pretty much where we do everything right now. Uh, there's a book a table on the Marco Polo selections. You can also, we also have curbside pickups. So while we don't do a wine club, we get asked that question all the time. Like, do you do a wine club? We don't. They're, you're always searching for stuff and they're a huge um, pain in the ass to kind of deal with people's credit cards. And you're always searching for stuff. We have a pick six on there. So a lot of folks will hit the pick six and I'll just put six bottles together of something that they kind of trust us at this point. Uh, and they can pull up out front. You can come in and say, what's up, grab them there. Uh, you can buy online. We can ship to a couple states as a retail store. It's really hard for us to ship, but um, we have curbside pickup here in, um, in Waldo. You're always welcome to stop in. Uh, you can check out our website. I try and get that thing updated as much as I can. But our, our website guy lives in Michigan and he's amazing. And I call him with just the dumbest questions that you could possibly ask. And and, his, and he always does a really good job of explaining it to me like I'm a four-year-old. So we appreciate all that. But yeah, so MarcoPoloSelections.com, at MarcoPoloSelections. Those are usually the easiest way. Uh, DM us. We're pretty quick to get back on the old direct message. And then, yeah, we're always looking to do stuff with other small business owners too. Um, we love doing... I did a private event at the Toy Museum a couple of weeks ago, and that was awesome. They have the original Barbie doll, and they have the largest collection of miniatures Stuff I had no idea, and we did a we did an event for their uh, for their brass for their I think there was like their investors or their board or something. So um, that's the stuff we like to do around here. 
Awesome. Well, Nate, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. And I am all for your motto. And I love the laid back vibe that Marco Polo offers. Because yes, as, as a consumer who, again, loves wine, doesn't know a lot about it and never wants to sound uneducated, it's, it's nice to have a place where that's kind of taken out of the equation. And it's really just about drinking wine, having a good time, finding out what you love, finding out what you don't love and, and kind of going from there. So thank you so much for being here and everyone go follow you guys on Instagram and check out your website. And as always, uh, listeners can follow me on Instagram at KC by Sari. And I'm so excited to share. I have a discount code for you listeners. When you visit Marco Polo's website, be sure to use Casey Confidential at checkout to get 10% off. That's Casey Confidential for 10% off. And we will see you next week. Casey Confidential. Casey's Confidential. Kansas City's best. Casey Confidential. Casey's Confidential.